Section 12 of Anthropology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Anthropology, Book 1, by Emanuel Kant. Translated by Adolf Ernst Kröger. Section 12. Concerning Imagination. The power of imagination, facultas imaginandi, being a faculty of contemplating an object without its presence, is either productive, that is, a power of the original representation of the latter, exhibitio originaria, which therefore precedes any experience, or reproductive, exhibitio derivativa, which brings back into the mind a previous empirical contemplation. Pure contemplation of time and space belong to the former class. All others presuppose empirical contemplation, which, when connected with the conception of the object and thus becoming empirical cognition, is called experience. The power of imagination, insofar as it also produces involuntary imaginations, is called fantasy. A person who is habituated to mistake the latter for the former is called a fantastic person. To have in our sleep, which is a condition of health, an involuntary play of our imaginations, we call to dream. In other words, the power of imagination is either imagining, productive, or merely recalling, reproductive, this does not mean, however, that the productive power of imagination is on that account creative, and that it has the power to produce a senger's representation, perception, which was never previously given to our senger's faculty. On the contrary, we can always find out and show up the material of which it has made use. We can never make a person who has never seen amongst the seven colors the red one comprehend the sensation of redness, and to a person born blind we can never make understood the sensation of any colour, even though it were a middle colour, produced by the mixture of two other colours, as for instance green. Yellow and blue mixed together form the colour of green, but the power of imagination would never have the least representation of this colour if it had never seen it mixed. The same holds good in regard to each particular one of our five senses, namely, that the composition of their sensations cannot be produced by the power of imagination, but must originally be derived from the sensuous faculty. There are people who have no further provision made in their seeing faculty for the representations of light than to see white or black, men for whom, although they could see well, the whole visible world appears only as an engraving. In the same way, there are more people than we know of or believe who have a good, nay, extraordinarily acute hearing, but who have absolutely no ear at all for music, who sends for tones, not merely in order to imitate them, to sing, but also to distinguish them from mere sound, is utterly unsusceptible. It may be the same way with the representations of our tasting and smelling organs, that is, 
some persons may lack the sense to receive many specific impressions of these objects of enjoyment, and thus it may chance that one person believes he understands another one on this subject, whereas the sensation of the former may be not only in degree, but specifically and totally different from those of the other. There are persons who utterly lack the sense of smelling, who consider the sensation of inhaling pure air through the nose to be smelling, and hence can make nothing out of any description made to them concerning that specific mode of sensuous impression. But where the sense of smelling is lacking, the sense of taste is also pretty well absent, and to teach and arouse this sense where it does not manifest itself is labour thrown away. Hunger and the satisfying of the appetite, however, are quite different from tasting. Although the power of imagination is thus ever so great an artist, nay, enchanter, it is nevertheless not creative, but must gather the material of its productions from the senses. But these, according to what we have said above, are not nearly so universally communicable as the conceptions of the understanding. It is true that we also, though improperly, sometimes call the receptivity for the representations of the power of imagination in their communication a sense, and that we say, for instance, this man has no sense for such and such a thing. This, however, is not exactly an incapacity of the sense, but in part an incapacity of the understanding to grasp hold of communicated representations and unite them in thinking. The man himself thinks nothing in what he says, and hence other people also do not understand him. He talks nonsense. But this defect is quite different from that of sense emptiness, when a man pairs his thoughts together in such a manner that no one else knows what to make of them. The fact that the word sense, though only in the singular, is so often used as an equivalent to thought, nay, perhaps even to characterize a higher grade than that of thought, and the reason why we say of some remarks, they convey an extensive or profound sense, and why we call a sound human understanding also common sense, and thereby, in spite of the fact that this expression designates properly only the lowest grade of cognition, place it on the highest grade. All this is caused by the power of imagination, which provides matter for the understanding whereby to furnish its conceptions with a content, to obtain a cognition, and which by reason of the analogy of its fictitious contemplations with actual perceptions, seems to give to the former reality. End of section 12